0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: You know what's going on, Celtics fans? What's going on, Celtics Blog? World happy Wednesday. As usual, I'm your boy, Mr. Adam Taylor. As usual, I'm joined by Mr. Will here. As I always say, if you're watching on YouTube, you see it said Will Bun, because that's what he'd be. He'd be Will Bun, the top of all this news. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making it up as I go along. We've got a lot to dive into. I usually, we have a little chat to see how we're doing. We had a, quite a good chat before we started, so I think we can spare everybody's ears, because there's a lot to unpack.
0: Yeah, let's uh, let's get into it here, man. Let's uh, Some kind of breaking news, I guess. I mean, we were recording pretty much right after this news dropped, so I'll let you set it up.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was like pretty much like 15 minutes after. So for anybody that hasn't seen it yet, I'm sure you will. It's going to get aggregated a ton. Um Steve Ballpett, rec- today at the time of recording, which is Tuesday at nearly 5 p.m. Eastern time, Steve Ballpet released an article basically saying that Jalen Brown hasn't requested a trade, but is considering his future if the Celtics don't show improvements. Now, I've paraphrased that a bunch. So let me just kind of read it out And it won't be just the Celtics making a call on how to proceed. Multiple multiple sources have told Heavy.com that absent the team getting its act together and playing more to its potential, Brown could be the one to acknowledge the mix isn't right and seek a move. Now, obviously, this is conjecture at this point. Nobody knows.
0: I don't know. Will, Juno? you know? I don't know. I wish I knew, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know neither. Obviously, some people feel like they have the inside scoop, ball pits, Very well respected. So we can kind of believe that he's at least been told this information. I think he's definitely been told this information. We'll give credit where credit's due. And I think for us, rather than kind of discussing the validity of these reports, because, you know, people everywhere are going to do that anyway, we can discuss what that would mean for Boston and what our thoughts are right now. So where do you want to start and how would you like to start? I'll let you take the floor here.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, uh, just real quick to, to talk about where, where the, the article is coming from. Like, Steve Bulpitt worked for the Herald, for Boston Herald, for a long time, and, you know, now has transitioned to doing more national coverage, which, ironically, he's done mostly about the Celtics uh, since, he, since he's made that transition <laughs> fairly recently. So I do think that's a, a little bit funny, but this, you know, Steve Bulpitt is a guy that does have a reputation within Boston and has been connected to the organization for for a long time. Now, for the report itself, let's let's just start here. Like, once you take a deep breath And you step back from the initial reaction of, you know, it probably feels like, oh, Jalen Brown, if he hasn't asked for a trade, is about to ask for a trade or could ask for a trade. And really, if you take a step back, read the full article, it's, it's a lot of logical steps that we've all been kind of talking about for a little bit of part of the reason why. It feels like there's more urgency on figuring out the Jason and Jalen situation than just sitting back and saying, oh, there's still two years on the contract afterwards. JT still has three more years after that. And so this just speaks to why there is a sense of urgency. I think for me, the the most interesting thing is the timing of the article, right? You know, we're about just over a a week away from from the trade deadline. And depending on the, you know, it's rumor season, right, Adam? So depending on which rumor and which day you're, you're looking at, twitter or looking up certain websites some are going to tell you that the celtics are buyers at the deadline looking to find ways to to retool around the jays for this season and obviously you know into the future others are going to tell you they're you know i don't want to say full-on sellers but they're looking to make room for romeo neesmith and pritchard to get more playing time to see what they have which you know based on the way this article is shaping out that if the C's don't kind of pull themselves on track it could lead to that doomsday scenario that doesn't seem to line up so it's just really interesting timing for me. And I think this is becoming a, you know, very quickly for Brad Stevens, a very important trade deadline to set the tone of what is the path that the Celtics are taking. Are they retooling with win now and win in the next two to three years players? Or are we taking a, you know, step back for the rest of the season to see what we actually have and develop some of these young guys and then kind of figure it out in the off season, which you know, based on this report, maybe that timing doesn't work out. So that for me just is, is what stands out the most. Is that very quickly in the next week we're kind of hitting a crossroads in Brad Stevens' first trade deadline as as president of basketball operations.
1: Another thing to note as well is this is going to be a staring contest between the two guys. So if say this was legitimate, and I'm going to keep saying was or is because I don't want to speak to the validity of something that is just going to remain. You know, probably very well sourced information, but it's still conjecture. So let's assume that this is correct. Well, then now Jaden Brown's turning the heat up on Brad Stevens. He's saying, like, you make a move or I'm going to make a move for you in the offseason. That's the that's like you know, the be all and end all the, the nuts and bolts of this is if Brown doesn't feel like this roster has achieved what it's potentially capable of or come close, then he's gonna he might be interested in looking elsewhere. So, this is going to be where Brad Stevens either says, Right, I'm going to give Jalen everything he needs, or, Okay, Jalen, that's fine. I'm going to do things the way I feel like doing them because this is what's going to help the team long term. And if you don't want to be here at the end of the year, that's fine too. We'll bring back a whole worth of assets or we'll replace you with another top player. And we'll go from there. I don't, the last thing I want to see is like Brad's still new to this job too. So, and I understand he has a relationship with Jalen from, you know, when they, when he was the coach and blah, blah, blah. But the last thing I want to see is somebody turning the heat up on him and kind of forcing his hand, which could potentially force him into a mistake. You know what I mean? Nobody, yeah. nobody acts rationally when the pressure's really ramped up. So I think that, that that's one of my biggest concerns. If, if this is true and say Jalen's had that conversation with Brad, I wouldn't want Brad going out and making a deal, hoping that that deal's the right deal to kind
0: of, ease Jalen Brown's concerns yeah no I, I think that's completely understandable and the other part to me that 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 it speaks to me about is and you hope that this is kind of always especially in the NBA where star players just have so much influence the front office kind of has to be aligned with with the with the star players on their team and their vision and so I think and, and like I said I'm going to use I'm going to use I think in this scenario because I certainly don't know as we talked about the beginning I don't know at all But, you know, I think once we get past next Thursday and we see what happens, you have to think that Jalen and Jason are hopefully, and maybe even Marcus Smart to a certain degree, are in step with whatever moves Brad Stevens decides to make. And that's whether or not it's, you know, there's another report of Josh Richardson You know, being in uh, the Utah Jazz having interest in Josh Richardson from KOC on the Bill Simmons podcast. Brian Robb talked about that in an article today as well. You know, so if they're moving Richardson to move, you know, to give more opportunity for Romeo and they're moving Schroeder and making more space for Pritchard. If that's the main moves that are made and we try to stay under the tax and and that's kind of all we do. You got to hope that or, you know, as a fan or as someone that doesn't have that inside knowledge that Stevens is aligning that vision. With what the Jays are okay with, and knowing that you know they're they're on the same page moving forward, so we I think we have to infer that type of stuff. But that's what I'm kind of looking at over the over the next week or so is you know is there alignment from what the star players are are hearing with Brad Stevens and what Brad Stevens is doing in comparison with the, with the with the star players?
1: Yeah, because that's how things break down real quick, right? You know, you say one thing, you do another. The trust isn't there. The relationship starts to crumble. I also think that you know. The the players need to be held to that level of accountability as well. though. Like If you agree to something and then it it, it takes longer than what you wish it did or it goes south, but you were on board with making those moves at the beginning, then you kind of need to ride that wave too. So if Brad does say to Jalen and Jason, hey, I'm going to trade Schroeder. we're going to open up some minutes for Pritchard. I'm going to trade Jay Rich because we need to give Romeo these minutes because Romeo's been whatever when we've had him. We want to see what more's there and then all of a sudden things go a little bit worse, then you need to know that Jalen and Jason are willing to be kind of accountable to that too. Like, hey, we agreed to this. We knew it was going to be a bit rougher. If one of them guys at the end of the season is like, I'm not happy with how that went, I want out. Well, then, you know, you've got to hold the players as accountable as what you would the front office in that scenario,
0: assuming the alignment was there, right? Exactly. That's 100% because, you know, part of this article talks about the Celtics on track and right now you know in their last 13 Celtics are nine and four and you know they have a lot of good stats that you can kind of dig into that that backup that this team is potentially you know turning the corner here and maybe maybe something's brewing maybe not you know we've, we've, we've seen this team for a couple of years so it could obviously not be happening as well but you know maybe it is and so when you talk about being on track and to me that shouts being competitive maybe finding yourselves outside of the play-in maybe winning a round in the playoffs, being right there with some of the, you know, the the class of the East, the Bucks, the Heat, the Nets, Bulls and such. You know, that's kind of what speaks to me. And so if you're going to go that route that we're talking about and you're going to give more playing time to guys that haven't had it so far this season, Romeo, Nismith, Pritchard, I think it would be hard to have the expectation that that's going to elevate us this season, maybe down the road, maybe next year or the year after but it would be hard-pressed. So that's where you got to make sure that alignment is, and that's what I think is super key here over the next couple of days.
1: And this is what worries me about Jalen's got, what, two years on his contract left after this season, yeah. Tatum will have three. If it's going to take, if you go down that route, and personally, I've been championing that route. I think that route, even if you're trying to trade for a star next
0: year, you're talking about era. developing developing the young guys right
1: yeah going down that route and having those you know Pritchard, Neesmith, Romeo giving them more minutes knowing it's going to be bad this year possibly even bad next year but now they have trade value there's teams out there that have seen what these guys can do over a, a very valuable sample size that be like we're willing to give up some assets to get this guy because we think we could develop him and fit him into what we're trying to do long time that makes a bunch of sense but on the other hand, you have two all-stars who their contracts are dwindling down, and you might have sold them on this re, like soft rebuild now, like if, if they agree now. But eighteen months of not being a contending team for two guys that achieved at a ridiculously high level early in their career probably isn't going to go down well when it comes to talking the next contract. And again, that comes to the alignment. But how long do they stay aligned if things aren't going right? Who, who blinks first? And this is where I'm back to the staring competition with Jalen and Brad. If this is really Jalen's feelings and how Jalen feels right now, who's going blink, to blink first? Is Brad going to blink and kind of bend to what Brown's asking for or alluding to? Or is Jalen gonna blink and have to hand in a transfer a transfer request to trade request? <laughs> got that, got a that here get that soccer mind, get that
0: football mind. <laughs> season here yesterday. You know,
1: some, it's just been all around me, man. All, yeah, all but no,
0: that I mean that creates another, you know, likely an off season conversation of of kind of judging the results as we we get to you know see how this all plays out over the next next week and then over you know towards the end of the season and into the playoffs and you know. I'll be honest, man. So as I saw this report, the first thing that, that jumped in my mind, and I don't necessarily think this is where the Celtics will go in that, you know, I'm going to call it a doomsday scenario, because I, I think breaking up the Jays is the absolute last thing you do. I think you try to do everything else before you get to that point. And so I'll, I'll call that my doomsday scenario. But it made me think to, you know, you look at Philly and the Daryl Morey and Ben Simmons situation. This is exactly why Daryl Morey is is trying to, and I, I to a degree from the reports, People seem to believe that he will take Ben Simmons through the trade deadline and just waste that spot, which, you know, kind of feels like a little bit of malpractice the way that Joel Joel Embiid's playing right now. And you're just getting a zero from that Ben Simmons spot. But this is a report like this is the exact reason that Daryl Morey is willing to take that chance. Not saying that the Celtics and, you know, Sixers are going to be the ones that crack a deal. But reports like this, Jalen Brown potentially asking for a trade. Who knows what happens with the Brad Beal situation? There's the James Harden situation looming. Like, these are the type of reports that are leading guys like Daryl Morey to say, all right, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to wait for the right move rather than make the wrong move. And, you know, pretty soon Brad may be in a position to figure out, you know, have to make a similar call. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. How would you feel if it played out into James Harden? I mean, that's tough, man. You know, you look at James Harden right now. I mean, this is we almost had this conversation, what, at the beginning of last year when he was with the yeah, Rockets? We, you know, did, we actually yeah. did. I was thinking about that. And so, you know, I, I'll be honest, but I, I don't know. Because James Harden's skill set is, is interesting, right? Because he's such a good passer. Like, I don't think sometimes people acknowledge how insanely talented of a passer he is. But there are parts of him that you're going to be very frustrated with his defense or if he wants to go ISO and he's not, you know, as efficient as he was in, in Houston, or maybe just not in shape enough as he was in Houston. So I I don't know, man. That's a that's a lot to digest if we get to that point. You know, if it's a if it's a breaking point of that's, you know, the way that we have to go, maybe it is, but that's a lot to digest. I don't know if I have a good answer for you <laughs> right now at this point.
1: So I'm just pulling up Keith Smith's article from yesterday, because he wrote about James Harden, and I remember reading this. I'm thinking to myself, "Oh boy!" So <laughs> Harden's got a bunch of options available. And I'm not going to go through them, but some of the options that are more, shall we say, logical for Harden, all see him earning roughly in the region of sixty million dollars at his age thirty-seven season. Yeah, see, that's then, uh, that's terrifying.
0: Um, and we've even talked. So I was thinking about this with Damian Lillard today because there was a report yeah. that he might get a two-year, a, a, another two-year extension. From, from the Blazers in the offseason. And he's already sitting at like, I think it's like 50-something million at his age 35 season when his yeah. current contract ends. And that's going to do the same thing with Dame Lillard. And to me, if Portland gives him that two-year extension, he's untradeable at that point. Like, well, I can't say anyone's untradeable, but it would be, you know, it would be an unbelievable risk to think that Dame, who's already having injuries, at 37 is going to give you $60 million worth of, of production. And James Harden, same thing, man. And that's, it's kind of terrifying, especially when you think Jalen's, you know, twenty five or twenty six, whatever, whatever he is right now. And you know, that's it's, I'll be honest, like as we talk through it, it's not a super appealing option, even no. as talented as James Harden. It's just not an appealing option.
1: I genuinely think this is the LeBron James effect. LeBron's thirty seven. LeBron James is thirty seven right now, having yep. a re- like a renaissance season. You know what I mean? He's scoring throughout like the end of December through January when he was healthy. He was yeah literally unfathomable for a guy his age with that many miles on the clock. So teams are seeing that and like saying to themselves, well, yeah, LeBron's a specimen in terms of the way he takes care of his body, the level of professionalism he's had throughout his career. But there's some other guys in the league that are not not on his level in terms of talent, but they're mightily talented. So Mm -hmm. can we get similar things from James Harden at 37? Would it be worth taking that risk on Damian Lillard until he's thirty-seven, because you know these guys aren't pure athleticism. Then, and, and this is the difference, right? As we shifted to a more skillful style of basketball, the I'd say like the age cap has risen with it, right? Because when you're completely athletic, your your body starts to betray you in your early thirties. You know that that bounce you had, you lose an inch of vertical, maybe two. That burst you had, maybe you lose 0.3 point three seconds difference in how quickly you get off the mark when it's skill-based and you look at guys like chris paul you look at guys like lebron who was athletic but supremely talented Mm -hmm. you can see there's a longevity there dirk was skill-based played long into his um 30s um who else was there vince carter was very athletic but very skilled played late so i see these guys playing later into their career obviously vince carter wasn't impactful in the last few years but he was a great veteran presence And maybe teams are looking at someone like Harden like, yo, you you don't rely on speed. You rely on shiftiness. You rely on the way you, you, you fake guys out with your head movements, your shoulder movements, your eyes. We could probably still get a ton out of you at age 37 but I don't think no one should be getting paid $60 million at age 37 for playing a sport because you're just nowhere near your prime anymore.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the cap is, you know, on, on track to go up. I don't know how much that means 60 million will take up of your cap at that time. I can't, you know, that's a Keith Smith question. We'll have to, we'll have to get him in there for any type of, you know, capologist type questions, but it's yeah, that dude, that's a lot. I mean, you think about the way most teams are, are set up right now where I feel like there's a lot of teams that kind of have really you look at it like you have three max to close to max salary spaces. You got about a mid range space and then you have kind of, you know, maybe a mid level or two type contract and the rest of your team for most of these competing teams, unless they've got a little bit of luck is going to be made up of guys on rookie deals and then guys on like vet minimum deals. Those are how majority of, of the top teams are set up with a handful of exceptions. And so you really have to think about, you know, is, you know, James Harden or is Dame Lillard or whoever it might be, to your point, at age 35, are they still able to be one of your top players? And because they're skill-based as opposed to athleticism-based, like, you know, as you were going through that description, I couldn't help but think of Russell Westbrook shooting a jump shot that just only hits the back. Exactly. Like, that's, that's, that's the main thing I'm thinking of, uh, you know, when you're going through that. And I do think guys like James Harden, Lillard, and, you know, I've always joked, like, Steph Curry just becomes... uh Just becomes Seth Curry when he gets older. Like, that's, that's kind of like the way that, that he ages. You know what I mean? Like, there are ways that these guys are still useful, but that's still a lot of money. And all of these guys that we've just mentioned, Dane, you know, uh, James Harden, Seth, none of them, none of them really do it two ways. They're more focused on, on that offensive end. So always keep that in mind. Because LeBron, even though he's lessened his defensive workload, he can still put it on when he needs to. Same with Chris Paul, who's still a top-notch defender. So those are two things that keep those guys, I think, kind of in a separate class. But it, it's a lot to ask for. And so if you do get to that breaking point with Jalen, man, it, it it gets tough to find what is going to be the right answer. In my opinion, it wouldn't be one of these older guys. I think you want to, to search be. the league. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think you'd have to search, try to search the league for someone that's maybe equivalent to Jalen's or closer to Jalen's age, but maybe a better fit. Or you're you're going a little bit younger, like you know we we tossed around with uh, Jonathan Macri. That that Tyrese Halliburton is like the the centerpiece, and you get some picks or something. You know, I don't know, I don't I don't want to get into all fake trades right now, but. It's going to be a very difficult challenge if it gets to that point. You have to start looking around for you know equivalent options.
1: So the number one name that comes to my head personally, and I think I'm not sure how, I haven't looked at the money because it's only come to my head as we're discussing this, but the one that makes the most logical sense for me from a fit standpoint to his team being able to put together a package that works to also most likely being very receptive to making a deal would be if this was to happen, probably SGA, go for Shea, Gilgis, mm. Alexander, because Oklahoma have positioned themselves to make moves for a star. Now, most likely that is to pair with SGA, yeah. fair enough. But you they'd still have enough in the tank because of how valuable shy is. Shea yeah. is. Because Shea. of how valuable he <laughs> is as an asset himself, they wouldn't need to empty the war chest to acquire Jaden. And for I sure. think that, you know... They'd make a move where it's right. we bring in Jalen, and we've got a bunch of these young guys. You know, we've got Poku. Um, I'm trying. I'm racking my brain. Who so else? They got like Lou Dort,
0: Dort over there. They've got um, uh, Giddy. Giddy's a big one. Um, I love Giddy. I wanted yeah. him so bad last year. Yeah, but I'm, I'm got, a big Lou Dort fan. That's my guy. They've got the pieces
1: there to make a deal for Jalen, and then go out and find someone else that can fit with him. Now, unfortunately, the guy that fits with Jalen is the same guy that fits with Tatum, and that's SGA. But <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> in, in my head, I'm like, Yo, if you were gonna trade Jalen, bringing in a guard like Shy, and then having Marcus Smart next to him at that two spot makes so much sense for me yeah. in terms of ball distribution, adding length, defense.
0: I mean, using that same example though, you know, that like you said, he might pair very well with with SGA. Maybe they do unload the war chest and they open up you know, a bunch of draft picks with Diddy and Ludor and they find some salary filler. You know, maybe that's maybe maybe that's the other route that they go, you know, but OKC is in a is in a pretty interesting spot that, you know, but I, I think for for just that particular deal, the one thing that would stick out to me is, you know, OKC has been burned before by by guys who have a little bit more financial freedom and flexibility to kind of to yeah. kind of jump ship and go elsewhere. So I, I think for them, they would only do that if they could pair SGA and JB and something clicks, and that's their their kind of two year window. And then they hope to you know re-sign JB. And once they have them under contract, they can obviously offer them more than the rest of the market. So that oh, cool. kind of be kind of be their pull. But that's interesting. But that's but that's the type of thinking and discussions that. You know, with this article, could be happening in the off season if you know whatever the Celtics getting on track, as it states in the article. If that isn't, met. and you know, like I said, thir- you know, in their last thirteen, uh, no, thir- what was it, nine and four in their last thirteen?
1: You yeah. know,
0: maybe maybe things are getting on the right track. We don't know. I, th- I think there's some some holes in that nine and four where there's been some suspect opponents. You know, I want I wanted to throw on a little uh, Ben Affleck in Goodwill Hunting, suspect. Remember, the, you know that scene? <laughs> when he pretends to be Matt Damon? When he pretends to be his lawyer? <laughs> He's suspect. That's all I can think about during that. But yeah, there's been some, oh, some, some suspect uh, opponents during that I'm trip, going. So I think it's going to be really hard to tell over the next week or so if the right track is happening or if it's a little bit of scheduling work. But, you know, it looks good, but competition does matter.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I've said this on the show. I've said it. Everywhere, really. You can only beat what's in front of you. Your job is to go and win a game. Regardless of who's playing against you, that should be irrelevant. Whether it be a Jimmy Butler, Carl Lowry, Bam Adebayo, Big 3 Miami, or whether it be Miami without Jimmy and Carl Lowry, your job remains the same. Get the W. Mm-hmm. I know as far as I'm concerned, that's all that matters. I understand people are like, yeah, well, it's easy to be at a team when two of their best players are missing. Yeah, it is. Of course it is. That's the point. So you take the W, you move on. Doesn't mean it's an easy game, you know? And then you're meant to beat the Kings, I get that. But we can't hold this team, like, be negative towards the team when they lose against full-strength teams and then be negative, or when they beat full-strength teams and be negative when they're beating teams that they're supposed to beat. The ones you're supposed to win are how you build up your win totals and move up the the rankings. That's how that works. You know what I mean? It's like saying, oh...
0: no, I." I, I totally agree with you. I, th- I think for me, I'm more speaking it to as like an evaluation standpoint because you have to make some pretty critical decisions in the next couple of days, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it's it's sometimes it's 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 tough to say. I think for me, anyways, because you're right, you have to beat who's in front of you. But you know, you look at as we're recording, they play, they have remaining before the deadline, the Hornets, the Pistons, the Magic, and then the Nets team that I don't know if that game's in Boston or not. Definitely without KD. Maybe without Kyrie. I'm not sure where that game's taking place with with part-time Irving. So, you know, you got a couple of games that are, you know, that are certainly winnable. And so let's say they, you know, you end up in your last couple, you know, 12 and and five or or whatever that that equates to. Like, that's that's great. But it's also trying to balance, you know, is this real? Because a lot of the teams that we're playing are not full up to, you know, up to full, um, what's the word? Full power? Capabilities. Full capabilities. There you go. That's that's better full capabilities. And so while you absolutely have to beat the teams in front of you, you got to take the wins as you get them. And in that last 13, the Celtics are first in defensive rating in the NBA and first in net rating overall. Like you also have to kind of think of this through the lens of, does that mean, well, this is back to the Brad Stevens question. Where, which, which, which path are we taking? Are we buying in now to, to go all in and retool around the Jays or are we taking that step back? And we're going to let the young guys play a little bit more and so I don't know how much these last this last set of games influences that.
1: So my outlook is like, while I completely agree, it's very hard to get a read on a team because this team because they're not playing against the elite competition that are healthy, and that's fair. You know, the Chicago game was another example of playing yeah. against a team that's meant to be elite, missing some of its core pieces. But the NBA is very much a momentum based league the teams kind of get on a run and that run can take you through an entire month. It can last like, you know, five weeks, six weeks. If you look at the Phoenix Suns run earlier in the season, that went on for a ridiculous amount of games. They're on Uh, another one right now too. You know what I mean? They go on heaters, dude. You look at the Warriors, it's the same thing. And sometimes you just need those wins against whoever, however, to build that momentum. And that can carry you through some of these tougher games. The problem is, as you say, they don't really. The Celtics don't have the luxury of waiting for that to happen anymore. They needed that momentum to really test themselves against the best teams in the league while trying to figure stuff out so they knew where they were at. Now you've got, what, nine days left to make a decision? Mm-hmm. It, it's not the ideal scenario because even if you win your next few games on the bounce, as you said, it's not the creme de la creme of what the NBA has to offer. And you just don't know how they're going to fare. But at the same time, coming into this season, I never expected the team to be a championship contender. I was—I I came into the season like, you know, if they get a second round exit, I'm going to be content because yeah. I never saw this team constructive to be anything more than that. So now being under the mentality of, oh, well, they need to know because they need to make a move to put them over the top. I think that's kind of, for me personally, I'm like, now nah, I don't want no piece of that. But, but do they need to make a move to even get to the second round of the playoffs? That's a question that I think is genuinely fair to ask.
0: Yeah, and I think that gets back to how we started this whole conversation with this article. What does the Celtics being on track mean from Brad Stevens to the Jays? Like, are they aligned on what being on track mean? Does that mean us being on track? Is that getting to a competitive second round, you know, of the playoffs? And I know, of course, to them, the goal is to win the championship. But, you know, being realistic, you know, for you and I, Adam, we can say we, would, we don't expect that like for us getting to that second round of the playoffs would be a great season, especially the way that it's gone thus far where it's been so inconsistent and up and down. But you know, what does that on track mean? Cause that's what you have to figure out is when you end this season, if you're Brad Stevens in the front office and if you're Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum, are you aligned about being on track? Cause if even one part of that is not, you know, together on it, that's where we end up where this conversation has mostly taken place in that theoretical. Okay. Then what do we do now? If Jalen then decides to ask out or Brad decides, hey, listen, like, I don't think we're on track. Maybe you guys do. I don't think we are. I'm going to make a change. Because that's the other part of this is just saying that, you know, Stevens won't make this decision alone. Jalen is someone that you have to consider about being aligned in this entire situation as well. And then you have to wonder what kind of message that
1: sends to, to Tatum. You have to ask yourself, like, yo, know, if JB does ask out, how does Tatum feel about that? Is Tatum like, OK, cool. Thanks for everything, JB. I'm the face of this team and I'm going to remain here because I'm happy. Or is Tatum going to be like, hang on, if JB's leaving, should I really be reconsidering my future in in this team and in this city too? And you just don't know how those conversations are going down. Like for me, I think Tatum's one of these guys where I see him in my head. I'm like, if he ever leaves,
0: it's going to be after a championship. That's how I see it too, man. I, 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 I mean, I see championship for JT and JB. Like, I don't, like, it's most NBA teams would say oh wait no, let's let's just take away names and let's just say you have you know two wings that are under the age of 25 both have been all stars one's been all NBA they average you know 24 plus points defend both defend and you know defensive studs offensive studs Almost every team is signing up for that, except for like maybe you know two or 3 that They're already at the top. Like everyone else is signing up for that as a package to begin with. So I mean, it's hard not to think of championship when you think of JB and JT, and you look at the way that the league, the way that the way that basketball is played within the league. right now. Do you
1: ever think that maybe like the constant media attention of can these guys play together, like for like all the, that narrative, that rhetoric of? Jalen Brown's a third. And I mean, I'm guilty of saying some of these things yeah. too. I don't class myself as that type of media. like, But, you know, I'm just as guilty of saying these things. But, you know, the rhetoric of Jalen Brown's a third, a third guy in a rot- championship rotation, not a second. Jalen Brown and Tatum can't play together. You should move Jalen Brown. Do you ever think that even though they the guys consistently say, like, hey, you know, it's just outside noise. It is what it is. When it comes to Brown making a decision like this, maybe part of it is because he believes he can be the man.
0: Do yeah, you know I mean, I, mean, I think that's entirely why he's the god. Absolutely. I mean, if you hear this day in and day out, and you know, like. Every time that this situation comes up, like, what's the reality of it, right? Are we is Jason Tatum getting traded? I don't think that's the reality. Like, the reality is, if you talk about splitting up the Jays, that means trading Jalen Brown. And I can imagine that be incredibly frustrating to the point where it's not even anything against Jason Tatum or that you think you're better than Jason Tatum, which maybe you do because there's these guys have crazy amounts of of confidence and that wouldn't be you know that wouldn't be illogical but you know to him maybe it's like you know what everybody wants to see me on my own let me show them what I can do on my own and I would I would be surprised if there's not a little bit of that mentality in Jalen that at a certain point he's like all right well you want us to see us apart here's a part and here's what I'm going to do as the number one option here's what I'm going to do when a team you know builds around me and not me and somebody else or builds towards me but more so you know my partner. I don't have to be the Robin to his Batman. Like, I would I would absolutely expect some of those thoughts kind of go through Jalen Brown's head. But once again, speculation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've said this before. Jalen Brown's probably the best play finisher on the roster, but he needs to be set up. Tatum can create for us, create for himself. He can do a lot more. I think he's just more diverse than Brown. Yes. So I think if if Brown went to a different team under that, like, you know, this hypothetical... I think he'd see Brown's numbers explode, especially his scoring average. I think his rebounding numbers would go up. His turnovers would stay the same. His assist numbers would probably stay the same too. Because if he was the man, another team wouldn't ask him to do much playmaking. They'd just be like, yo, we're going to tee you up. You're going to finish the easy plays. You know what I mean? We're going to put you in positions to ISO, get downhill. We're going to play to your strengths. It's not that easy when you're that type of player, but you're playing off of a guy that is so diverse. He's being asked to create for you. He's being asked to create for himself. When guys are creating off the dribble, they're looking for him before you. Do you know what I mean? There's definitely a little bit of a, an overlapping skill sets and like a bit of a cat. What would be the right word? Like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a big gap. I was beginning with a C. But you know what I mean? There's a big yeah. gap between what so, some of the stuff you can do as well. So I think that genuinely think, that probably plays into his train of thought a little bit. I wouldn't say it's consistent um, constant. And again, this is conjecture, but I think that articles raised a lot of questions about where the Celtics are going between now and the end of the week, where they're going between now and the start of next season.
0: The well, happiness. Let's, let, let's talk about next week, man. Like, like what, where do you think after this article, like, has this changed? And let's, let's even take out what you think, what you want them to do. And let's just talk about what you think will end up happening. Like, do you think we go towards opening up minutes for those young guys? Or do you think this is more or this is, you know, a push towards let's retool. Let's go find let's find a way to retool right now. Like what, what do you think? Yeah. So? I
1: mean, I just don't think they've got the assets to do the retooling. They've let their best assets depreciate. You know, yeah. you've got two former lottery picks from the last two seasons. Both of them have no value right now. If anything, they're just in they're just a neutral value asset. Mm-hmm. Peyton Pritchard came into the start of the season with a little bit of momentum, you know, played with some swag during Summer League, had that pro AM 91, ended last season strong, came into this season, bench, no rhythm. Same with Smith. same with Romeo, you know, each guy, when they get on the floor, it's for such a, a sporadic amount of playing time over random amounts of games with DMPs. There's no value there. So, yeah. you know you can trade Schroeder, no one's going to give you much for schroeder what because, and um Bobby Marks said this on ESPN the other day like I it could be wrote what you've got to remember is anything that trades for Schroeder has the exact same problem Boston has right now. You know what I mean you can't keep him you're going to be your hands are going to be tied at roughly seven seven point five million dollars on the max you can offer him he's probably going to get more in the open market, so if you trade him for him, it's a rental. It's the same thing with Josh Richardson. He, he's going to have a little bit of value, but you're not going to be able to retool your roster in a deal centered around Josh Richardson and Dennis Schroeder or in a deal centered around any of the three young guys. So what, how are you retooling? Do you get, do yeah, no, the that's a, that's,
0: the, that's the tough question to answer. There, There isn't that many options. And, no. you know, barring something unforeseen, I, I feel like more and more, I don't think Rob or Marcus is getting moved this trade deadline. I think maybe it's a different discussion in the off season when their extensions become when their extensions kick in. But I feel like this trade deadline, I, I don't necessarily see them moving unless something you know major shifts. But when you look at the assets, to your point, like I, I don't think the young guys they're neutral or sweeteners at best when it comes to the assets. And so you know, Schroeder, Richardson, Horford's contract. If you're looking to make something. Uh, a little bit bigger happened or someone's trying to move off some some money that's, you know, equivalent to it, you know, maybe that's in play. And then you have your draft picks. And that's that's really the kind of avenues you have. And, you know, I think it was Mark Stein reported that it feels very likely, which we've been saying for a while now, probably about a month, that we expect Dennis Schroeder to be traded for, you know, whether it's second-round picks or, or whatever. But the interesting part is I think, you know, the, with this – coming once again, trying to keep everything coming back to this article about the Celtics being on track two suitors that I think could be out there for Dennis Schroeder would be the Bulls who have just been hit by a ton of injuries and just, they just need more of everything right now, just to kind of get to their guys who are all kind of lining up near the playoffs as a return. So they just need more guys to help them stay, you know, where they are in the standings and a team like Cleveland that needs more backcourt scoring. And then they lost Rubio brought in Rondo, but I, I, you know, I think Schroeder would be an upgrade over Rondo for sure. And so I look at teams like that, that are ahead of the Celtics in the standings. And I think, You know, a week ago and certainly before this article came out, I'd say, hey, see if you can get like a protected first or, you know, two second round picks. The Cavs have, I think, Houston's second round pick this upcoming year. Like those young teams want to get in the playoffs and make some noise and they want to build, you know, experience for Darius Garland and for Jared Allen. And so there is value to having Dennis Schroeder on your team. If he's going to help you get one more round, get one game in the playoffs that that gives your young guys something to build on. But now I wonder if you kind of question, do I want to help this team in front of me? If it's important for my star players to know that we're on track, I don't want to give them a guy that helps them either get a better seed or if we match up with them in the playoffs. You know, Dennis Schroeder can be a wild ride, but we've seen it throughout the season. He can give you a game where you're like, dang, that was a Dennis Schroeder game. They won that game because Dennis Schroeder had 30 points and was super efficient for you know for that night. Like, I wonder if that makes you question, who you're willing to trade Dennis Schroeder or Josh Richardson or some of these other guys to. Yeah, it definitely does. I think, especially when you,
1: like, I think if the Celtics are like third or fourth seed at the time of making that trade, it bothers them less, right? Mm-hmm. Because don't forget, you're going to meet these teams again before the playoffs as well. And what happens if you're fighting for seeding? What happens if you're fighting to get out of the plane and then you come up against one of those guys you traded in and they're the guy that, like, you know, consigned you to having to go into the plane or was the reason you had to start in the playoffs? But these narratives happen across every sport all the time. So it's not something that's like illogical or nonsensical. They happen consistently. So I can understand there being a reluctance to trade with a team like Cleveland. However, like you said, you need to free up that playing time to start rebuilding the value of some of these younger guys. And while Cleveland are definitely ahead of schedule, I still don't... Like, and I think they're they're really fun. You know, Mobley's excellent. Yep. Garland's had a huge jump this year. They're really fun to watch. I don't think Schroeder does much in terms of if you, happy, if you met them in the in the playoffs. See, now, if you meet them in the playing, you worry because, like you said, a Schroeder game is the difference between you like, winning in the playing and losing. Mm-hmm. You meet them in the playoffs, I'm not too worried. You know, Schroeder might have a game, winning one game. You've got another six that you can go out and win. Yeah. Fine. But the concern there is, hey, we're hovering around playing tournament seeding right now. If we give it to Cleveland, and then we end up play, playing Cleveland in the plane and losing because of Schroeder,
0: the optics on that just aren't great. Right. So it, it, it's
1: it's tough, man.
0: It really and and back to you know being on track, like it's gonna feel a lot more on track if you're not in the play-in two years in a row. You know, if you get like that sixth seed and seventh seed, there's not a huge difference once you've you finalized the standings, yeah. but avoiding that play in versus being in that play in two years in a row feels like a massive difference as far as, you know, trending or tracking towards expectations and where, you know, a, a team with two all-star caliber guys should be. And so just that feeling alone to me, you know, to all the points that you're making, that could be nerve wracking if giving a team ahead of us a guy that helps them even get one game in the standings or one game, you know, difference in a series or in a play in style, you know, event that, that could end up mattering quite a bit. And so I think it's another interesting wrinkle that brass even has to consider, when you know like of of course we like I feel like Dennis Schroeder needs to be moved for multiple reasons, but you know is getting those two sec the a second round pick for him and then going from maybe the sixth to the seventh seed because he can provide value to a team ahead of you, like you have to consider that as part of as part of a deal if you make one yeah it's going something I think. You know, the Mavericks
1: make a ton of sense. The Jazz make a bit of sense. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, there's other trades out there. I'm just saying those are suitors that I think in my mind make a little bit of sense that I would have had no problem making that deal with a, a week or now two ago. Question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's tough, man. And then it's the same with what do you want your return to be? Like No one would have had a problem with a second or two seconds coming back for Schroeder. Now they might feel like they need a piece back. Exactly. Like, do you, you know what I mean? Do you try and get a deal to swap Schroeder plus something else for a Tyus Jones?
0: Or I would you know. I love
1: Tyus Jones. You try and do something small like that that just increases your your cohesion around the fringes of the team. Do you know? What I mean,
0: yeah. Uh, do you know if Tyus is on a, an expiring contract? We don't need to get too far in I know you just yeah, the name. Yeah, at the end of the season. Let me have
1: a look. Yeah. but it's the same thing, right? Like you'd much, you'd, I'd feel much better about chances of retaining someone like Tyus
0: Jones. Than sure. I wouldn't. one hundred percent. And that seems to be a guy that you would want in a you know, backup point guard role, which I mean, you know, maybe the Grizzlies would, wouldn't wouldn't move on that. But yeah, that's the other point of this is like it's now instead in of, of yeah, instead of just being cool with that draft pick, and especially if it's not a first round pick, you know, are are you okay with just those a second round or two second rounds or whatever it is now? Do you need that player to come back? And, or do you try and find a team that, you know, maybe you can put Schroeder with Josh Richardson, whose you know, teams have interest in, and maybe you can you can use the two of them to get one piece back that that makes a difference in the short term and long term. I don't know, but there's a there's a lot of tough decisions that are coming up here, man. And I'm I'm fascinated to see which path Brad's gonna take because these next nine days are gonna say a lot about the conversations that we're probably gonna have to have in the off season that pertain to exactly what this article was that came out today.
1: Yeah, and I'm very curious to see if the Celtics stand pat or make very small moves, and they don't improve the way that, you know, this article kind of says that Jalen's expected him to. I'm very curious to see what the outcome is. So I don't want to get to that point, but at the same time, I understand that that point
0: might be like Thanos, <laughs>
1: <laughs> which is inevitable. So we'll uh, leave it there. Uh, dude,
0: I, uh, I don't even like the visual you gave me on that one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's that
0: I'm, snap. I'm, I'm imagining uh, Jalen Brown sitting in like the in like the ash just just chucking the pebbles yeah in the end. it always came back to me I am inevitable <laughs> and then the snap is him requesting a trade <laughs> oh, man, I hope that <laughs>
1: goes viral. make that go viral listeners okay everybody if you've enjoyed the show please make sure to leave that five-star review you can do so on Spotify or on Apple if you listen to an Apple device make sure you scroll down write something nice we always like to read nice things it makes us all smile if you're using a device that doesn't edit, like you're not, on, if you're not listening on Apple, maybe you're listening on Spotify, maybe you're listening on Stitcher or Pocket Casts or however many other podcast aggregating things people use these days. If they don't let you leave written reviews, my boy Will here is going to tell you what you need to do.
0: Make sure you're talking to your inside sources, talk to your plugs, talk to your connects. Let them know Celtics blog podcast is the way is the place to be for all things Celtics with myself, Will Weir, our guy Greg Menakis, and of course. Your host, the one and only Adam Taylor. Collectively, we are the three man weave. Tune in, check us out, leave a rating.
1: Have a good one, everybody.
0: Disrespecting you, hate. As I ain't
1: sweating, you're repenting. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the